Welcome to Sharp Angles Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Rich Rebar and TA. Guys, here we are, a couple weeks before the draft. It's been a while. How are we doing? Good. It's You said a couple weeks. This is kind of where we're just, we're counting down. We're in very much the silly season mode of April. We've all, now that social media has been part of our lives and football coverage, have been through enough Aprils now uh, to know how this gets at this time of year. And we are very much into the, the silly season component of April. I enjoy silly season personally. And the <laughs> fact that, because uh, I like, I'll click on anything and you put across a rumor uh, I'll, I'll click on it, right? You know, I'm, I won't believe half of it, but you know, it's fun to fun to hear all these uh, rumors and reports and last minute things. But uh, I'm excited. I mean, I'm I'm in Cleveland, and uh, you know, we're obviously hosting the draft here in less than two weeks. And Are so you going? Hoping that the weather hold. What's that? Are you going? Are you going to any events? No, no, I'm not going. Actually, I I I've gotten my one uh, vaccine shot. I'm getting my second dose uh, like the week after, and just you know, I've got an eight month old. So we're we're still kind of you know uh, hunkering down a little bit till we mm-hmm. both get uh, our uh, me and my wife get our uh, second doses and just kind of hanging out. So and plus, I'm not a huge fan of attending uh, a draft like that. I mean, I think it's cool for some people who want to walk around, but I, to me, I like sitting and watching and. Uh, watching on TV and um, hearing all the commentary personally, I, I'd rather not uh, have to d- deal with the crowds. I mean, maybe like, you know, the Friday morning or Friday afternoon, I'll drive around just to kind of check out the stage and everything and see who's walking around. But in terms of uh, attending the draft, I'm, I'm probably not, but uh, hopefully the weather holds up. I mean, it was uh, 75 and sunny here all last week and now it's like 45 and, and uh, rain and, you know, uh so Ohio baby it's Ohio, Ohio so it could be either one so we'll, hopefully that the the weather holds up and we get a good draft and you know it's good to have people in the in the you know, in the audience like it's it's going to be like the first real uh you know NFL uh you know kind of event here of this year with 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 fans so um you know really excited for it and uh, I think there's a lot of stuff going on I'm actually really curious trying to get your guys's take on this with the lack of you know data no combine really um, you know, a bunch of guys that haven't run forties or haven't run some of the, um, some of the, the drills that you normally see in a combine or pro these pro days. And, you know, obviously guys that so many guys opted out last year, there's just mm-hmm. so much unknown. I mean, I think we're going to see, you know, you look at all these mock drafts. I mean, normally you get some volatility with mock drafts and, and differences between what the NFL teams think and some of the, the you know, consensus in mock drafts. I think you're going to see even more this year. There's going to be just a lot of, like, wow, had no idea that guy was going to go in the first round or that guy really dropped, you know, I think you get a lot more of that than normal. So kind of uh, interested in to see the chaos and, and kind of what, what happens this year with the, with all that misinformation that's going on. Yeah, it was a unique off season and we're going to see a lot of the team process exposed this draft period, like how teams draft, what they value. Do they value production? Do they go back to film? Uh, Do they value these pro day workouts, these individual workouts? We kind of talked about a little bit before we started recording just about the the article at the Athletic Athletic about the Rams uh, approach. And, you know, these teams, we forget, have so much more access to data that we don't right now, the on-field college data, the player tracking data, uh, which teams value that kind of stuff. We're going to see a lot from a process stance, uh, this draft probably more than any other year you know do teams just punt picks do they say we don't really have a process that we're strong in and give away picks you know like the Rams already did that the, the, the Texans yeah. did it in a different manner but like do we see teams kind of 
just look to trade out of picks and acquire future picks because they're just not confident uh, in think, their evals this year. I think that's a really good point. I mean, you look at the, like my team, the Browns, you know, they rely on data so much. And like, I've kind of joked, you just kind of look at PFF and look at the spark scores and you can figure out who the Browns are going to take with Deep Potesta. I mean, it's really been uh, um, something that you can kind of pinpoint. And yeah, when there's so much missing information, do they just say, hey, look, um, you know, we're analytically, so having analytically uh, focused here that we, we're just going to, unless there's a guy that we've got full information on, we're not going to take a chance. And we'd rather, you know, just collect more picks and get more shots on goal, um, trade down from 26, for example, get, you know, more second and third round picks and just kind of, you know, take as many stabs as we can. And then, or, or maybe trade into the future. Like I'd rather have picks next year and the, in the following year, because we'll have that data back, you know, that that's interesting to see how, how teams approach that. And like you said, the Rams are just like, well, uh, instead of, you know, um, trying to pick players and uh, kind of em- empty data sets let's you know trade it for proven veterans like you might see some of that on draft day like guys train late first round picks for you know you know marshawn Lattimore or someone like that who's who's um you know a, vet, a young veteran who you already have uh, information on you already is a proven commodity um we might see more of that so i it's going to be it's going to be interesting i don't think it's going to be uh like any other or any other draft i think we're going to see a lot of movement we're going to see a lot of um kind of players that are in first rounds that nobody has um and vice versa so um i think it's gonna be pretty cool and we also have the uh the, the fewest amount of early declares in several years because of the way the season played out uh you know the the way that he, you know players had to go back to school some didn't play a full season uh so from that component too as well we have the the layer in that the NFL didn't really kind of signal to these guys like, yeah, just go ahead and declare early. Uh, it's the first time in, in seven seasons that there are fewer early declares than the year prior, uh, which is a unique component as well. And even guys and, who could have declared the NTA gave an extra, extra year, year of eligibility. So we had guys who would have been forced to declare uh, and didn't and decided to return to college, get, get one more year there. Uh, so that, I think that's also going to be interesting. Like, I think I was uh, looking, there was just an article that came out, uh, I think this morning and I, or no, might've been it, yesterday from a uh, defector of just the uh, amount of players just in the draft in general. And the, mm-hmm. the amount of players who have signed agents is like, half of what it has yep. been in the past uh, couple uh, draft classes. So it's just, you know, especially when you think of when you're looking at these late round picks and, you, and you're throwing the darts there, there's fewer places to be throwing darts at too. So um, that's going to be interesting in the back half of the draft where you would think that you would just kind of, you know, that's where you're really comfortable in your process of, of what you feel like you could potentially be getting, um, you know, some value there, but you, you don't even know if these players are, are worth taking in those, you know, fifth and sixth rounds. Um, and of course, when you go on the other side of that, I believe uh, after, uh, after the season, the, you know, the free agency type of press conference, someone asked, you know, Dave Gettleman about that and whether it would be better to, you know, finally trade back because it's something he's never done uh, to get either more draft picks in, you know, the end of the draft or draft picks for next year. And in the most Dave Gettleman way, he said, yeah, but also, you know, you could, you know, trade up to get uh, the more picks on, on the guys you feel more confident in. So uh, of course there's, there's still that line of thinking in the NFL. So of, of course there is. Um, so while we are there with kind of talking about trade up, uh, but I think we can't really start any draft conversation 
without going to basically where the draft starts, right? We know number one, Trevor Lawrence, that's kind of been, since he was a freshman at Clemson, he was going number one in this draft. Uh, number two seems to be uh, Zach Wilson. I mean, we can probably uh, debate that, but it really just doesn't seem like there is any uh, debate there. But number three, the San Francisco 49ers, they had that big trade up. Um, and now when it first happened, seemed like it was looking like it was going to be Mac Jones uh, for some reason. We talked about Mac Jones, I think the last time we, we did a podcast. Um, but now the betting favorite, whether that means anything or not, is Justin Fields. Um, so I think we can probably talk about Justin Fields a little bit. But uh, TA, I know you monitor these you know betting lines and, and betting movements for these types of you know player to go to a certain area. Um, you know, with when you saw Justin Fields now as the betting favorite, what did you take that as, and does it actually mean anything? Yeah, I was taken aback a little bit. Um, he's, I think he was like plus three hundred in some spots. Mac Jones is a big favorite, just as you know, about uh, seven days, ten days ago, and just kind of slowly but surely, Justin Fields has uh, caught up to him, and now he's favored. He's minus one twenty-five. I'm looking at DraftKings right now uh, to go third. I think at other places he's even higher. You know, it's funny because I, I kind of jokingly uh, tweeted out, uh, I was just talking with some buddies and, you know, they came up with, uh, we were start talking about some theories and, you know, like, you know, who's actually going to go third. And just the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, I, I really do think Fields is going to go third. And I just, just, uh, you know, innocuous tweet about, uh, I'm convinced now uh, Fields is going to go third. Um, I have my reasons and I'm keeping it to myself, kind of, you know, half kidding. And then within 20 minutes, that line went from uh, fields, I think, plus 130 to minus 120. And I was like, wait a minute, what, what just happened here? And I know it's not because of me. There's other people. You're a power who, player. No, no, no. There's no way. Market changer. <laughs> there's no way because there's there's other people who've, who've also been hinting at it. And although, you know, a lot of reputable podcasts and websites that, you know, the, that know what they're doing, they, they're kind of pushing this field narrative too. I don't, I just don't, people just can't believe that Mac Jones, that, that someone would trade so much capital uh, for Mac Jones, but I think the NFL play, uh, teams have a higher opinion. Actually, I know they have a higher opinion of him than uh, than obviously the Twitter world and just kind of the general public. So uh, I don't know what to make of this. Uh, I don't think it, there's really anything to it. And, you know, this kind of um, lends itself to just a general uh, topic that I've, you know, kind of railed on on Twitter the last couple of years because I see it more and more with, you know, obviously there's more, um, uh, you know, betting is um, betting on the draft is, is more universal and you hear about it in the mainstream. And I just, you know, there are people that keep, you know, essentially taking what the props are and what the odds are and trying to make predictions or conclusions based on that. And it's just not the case. And you, sh- you got to be careful to do, you know, in doing that. Um, you know, the one thing that people have to understand, like compared to regular season football games or playoff games or whatever, where, you know, the, the limits that you can bet at, uh, at certain sports books and casinos are just, you know, are enormous and you can get down a lot of money, unless you're a very specific type of uh, better who's kind of banned from some of these places. But in general, you can bet a lot of money. They'll let, they'll take your huge bets. Um, whereas these draft props, like there's certain sites that you can only bet a hundred bucks max on, for example. Um, and maybe you can bet a little bit more at other places, but the limits are so low that there's really no influence from these sharp betters here. So when a line moves, it's really just because of news that pops like Schefter tweets out. Oh, uh, I think that Mac Jones is going to be, 
um, is most likely the pick after this trade. And all of a sudden, his odds really, really plummet. And that's because of just a tweet, right? Like that's not actual, you know, insider info that someone's just hammering um, bets on Mac Jones. It's just because it's it's a reaction to what is out there in the public. So I'd be careful to to not look at what um, a shift in odds means from a predictive standpoint. It's just, it's just general knowledge. It's okay. Uh, a guy like Schefter tweets that out and all of a sudden $50 bets are, are being uh, bet on Mac Jones. What well, doesn't mean that that's the pick. I mean, it's just, it's just a rumor. Right. And so um, I'd be careful of that. So like this, this, you know, his odds went from, you know, fields went from like plus 130 to minus 125. That's not an enormous shift. If anybody actually knew something, if there was real inside info, They'd be going to every sports book that they can they can find and embedding those limits as much as they can. And you probably would get a big shift to like minus 500. You wouldn't see just a, you know, a little shift like this. So um, I just would would caution people to not take what betting odds uh, on these props, you know, what they're listed and, and using to, to predict anything. I mean, last year I, I bet Henry Ruggs and I posted it on our site, Henry Ruggs to be the first receiver taken at plus 500. I mean, plus 500, if you bet, uh, an NFL underdog at plus 500, they're, they're double digit underdogs. It'd be a huge upset. Um, it's not the same probability as, as a draft prop, like a draft prop. Nobody has that information. So, um, you know, you could take advantage of those markets and it just doesn't tell you anything. I mean, just because he was plus 500 didn't mean that his odds were, you know, there was no inherent probability that he was going to get drafted first. It was just you know, that's just what the odds are. No one was betting that side. So um, it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, we've seen this before, but Baker Mayfield, if you look back to the 2018 draft or 17 draft, whenever Baker Mayfield went one, I mean, Sam Darnold was a prohibitive favorite to go one for a long time. Josh Allen actually, um, I think was second. And then, you know, slowly but surely Baker's odds started to dwindle. I think the morning that he got drafted number one by the Browns, he was still at plus four or 500. Like he was an enormous underdog. It's because no one knew anything that you could have sat there and said, oh, well, Baker Mayfield's plus 500. There's no way he's going number one. Well, within a couple hours, that shifted. He became the favorite just because then we started to get tweets from insiders saying, well, you know, they're really considering taking Baker one. So, like, it just doesn't really mean anything. It's all reactionary. So, you know, it's, it's a long diatribe. But just be careful. Don't don't look at what. Um, odds um, don't take what the odds are and, and make any sort of prediction purely based on that. Um, you know, you could take advantage of some of these markets um, if you really have conviction one way or another, but um, it is interesting. I mean, it's, it's curious that he's all of a sudden the favorite, whereas now, you know, Mike Lombardi saying is 98%, you know, of teams think that Mac Jones is going three and you know, a lot of others are kind of sticking to their Mac Jones at three. So um, at least it, it, it gives us some intrigue as we get near, you know, near the draft. I think it's, it's pretty fun to look at it, but uh, I wouldn't take anything away from this as, oh, this means that Fields is going thir- third, definitely. Like that's not the case here. Let me uh, ask, ask Dan now, uh, you know, about the actual pick and, you know, the, the narrative that Kyle Shanahan doesn't want a mobile quarterback uh, and, you know, kind of the, the scheme that he runs and the fit of, you know, why he would want Mac Jones over Justin Fields or why he should take Justin Fields. Because if you go back to the last two years, the 49ers, you know, they lose the Super Bowl to Patrick Mahomes, obviously a guy who can create off script. Uh, and then last year they get shredded on Monday Night Football by Josh Allen. And after the game, Kyle Shanahan has a quote about adjusting to the new type of quarterbacks and having a kind of quarterback that can, you know, alter games. And it kind of sounded like to me that like he was kind of changing his tune on that stance. 
so kind of go into just like the, the the narrative surrounding the Shanahan quarterback and why you know he would prefer Mac Jones or not, or, or maybe moving on to kind of you know changing his, his kind of stance on those quarterbacks. The narrative is so goddamn dumb. Like, <laughs> like I I am a Kyle Shanahan system fit. Like he could get like <laughs> maybe six yards per attempt out of me uh, for Wait, like you guys uh, understand for a couple that, of snaps. Do you guys understand he took Brian Hoyer, who was a journeyman with the Browns, and literally I think Hoyer was in the top ten of yards per attempt. Like he was just throwing guys. He was throwing to, to uh, Andrew Hawkins and Taylor Gabriel, just kind of no name receivers who were running ten yards free wide open. Um, the Browns were scoring points with just a pathetic offense. So you're right. He could take you, Dan, I think, in the, and you could average about eight <laughs> yards per attempt. Well, he's kind of done it with those backups. You know, Mullins and Beathard have had have flirted with, like, some uh, some moments of fleeting success. <laughs> so I'm looking right now. Nick Mullins last year was 12th in EPA per attempt from a clean pocket. Um, so it, it's th- – this scheme does uh, open some things up, and, you know, that's kind of – know why people are talking about Mac Jones because he can be that you know he is that guy who can stand in the pocket he is incredibly accurate like so when we talk about Mac Jones and we're all kind of you know crapping on Mac Jones being the third overall pick like he still does have he's still a good quarterback prospect right and would be in other draft classes like he's very accurate he has things that you would want in a quarterback prospect the thing is Justin Fields has all of those things too like Justin Fields is incredibly accurate, and now he comes in like not Cam Newton's body, but like close, runs a 4-4, um, and it has that extra element there. So like why have Mac Jones when you can have Mac Jones's accuracy with Justin Fields' the, uh, athletic uh, ability, right? I mean, there's th- that narrative out there that Justin Fields either, you know, can't go past his first read or doesn't go past his first read. Um, we we kind of know that's a bunch of crap because he you know, very clearly did you watch any game. He goes past um, his first reads like all the time. And even if he didn't go past his first read, if Justin Fields just had this season or the uh, a career at Ohio state, he did without ever going past his first read. He's amazing. Like that's more how, how impressive. Many, how many NFL <laughs> schemes on a per dropback basis do quarterbacks actually have to read reads one through five anyways? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's absolutely just insane to think. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, like if you want to see a quarterback who can like struggle to go past his first read, like I tweeted a clip of, of Daniel Jones just throwing slants into pass deflections um like he does that all the time like he will walk onto that slant off an rpo um and he telegraphs it so much that the cornerbacks just drive onto uh onto the pass and break it up and he did that more times than any other quarterback in the league uh last year so uh, the saying that justin fields like can't go past his first read and i think you have to kind of look at what this ohio state offense did it was so vertical um this like no NFL offense is as vertical based as um, like as the Ohio State offense was last year. Uh, when I wrote about Justin Fields uh, earlier uh, this month, and you know he had the highest uh, average depth of target uh, among this draft class. He has the highest average depth of completion um, among this uh, draft class. Uh, over their uh, careers in college. So, uh, and when you look at, you know, they had a lot of, you know, option routes that came um, and Justin Fields had to 
you know, not only read the receiver and the cornerback, he had to wait for the receiver to make his decision on the route. So he had to be in tune there. And that's where some of, you know, the, the time to throw and holding onto the ball uh, came out. But if Justin Fields can do that, be successful with that, going into, you know, a Shanahan system where there's going to be a lot more open, there's going to be a, a lot more, um, you know, shorter routes that he's going to be able to take advantage of. There's going to be so much more yards after the catch available to him at the NFL level. Also, um, I also wrote about that. He only had, you know, 35% of his uh, yards came after the catch last year. And that was one of the lowest rates in all of college football uh, last year among quarterbacks. So it, Justin Fields has everything you would want in a quarterback prospect. So, so to say he's uh, not a Kyle Shanahan system fit is, you know, crazy. Just, you know, look at what he did with, you know, RG3 in that a very short rookie season um, that he had. There was just that dynamic there. Um, they, they have that. Justin Fields is just accurate to every level of the field. One of the best deep throwers I think we've ever seen. I also wrote about this. This is just a, a quarterback class full of accurate deep passers, um, which is really cool to see. But Fields is one of the most uh, accurate intermediate throwers. Um, you know, quick game is not really where he has excelled in the past, but um, he was great from empty when he had to do that. And in his Shanahan system, that quick game is so wide open um, with all of those jet sweep passes and everything that, you know, there's just, I have so little concern about how Justin Fields translates uh, to the next level. So when you like, he's the betting favorite to be number three right now, it's, it's because he's the better quarterback. <laughs> like that's why that shouldn't be surprising right. <laughs> because he is the quarterback that should go number three. Yeah, and think. yeah, exactly. And I think that's what it is. I think people are just will trying to will Fields to number three because people can't believe that uh, Mac Jones would go there. Look, I, you're talking to an Ohio Ohio State alumni, so I've watched every single throw from Fields the last two years, and I have to agree. Like we're just over analyzing his game. I mean, that was everything you said about that offense. That Ryan Day offense is true. It's a totally vertical offense, and you know he was locked into certain guys because, like you said, that's that's just how the the route tree and the scheme was set up um, that way. So he had to wait for his guys to break. So he's kind of staring down guys, but you know, that's what he was taught at Ohio state. Look, we had the same exact concerns about Deshaun Watson. I remember it. Cause I got sucked into it too. Same exact concerns about Deshaun Watson coming out of Clemson that, yeah, he was great in big games and he is mobile and he did all this, all these things. But you know, after his first read, he kind of put his head down and would kind of take off running and, you know, that's not um, sustainable in the NFL. And, you know, like he's a big ball velocity some... guy too. ball velocity. Yeah. Twitter was really down on Watson. Oh yeah. And Fields' velocity is way bigger. You know, he's got way better arm um, than Watson, but you know, those things came out with, with, with Deshaun Watson. And, um, and if you watch like some of the, the, you know, the, the uh, Alabama games, like he did do that a little bit. He would, you know, first read and he kind of put his head down, either take a sack or, or, you know, run out of it. And look, we've seen in the NFL, he's taken a ton of sacks. Some of it's his line, but some of it is him, but, but his playmaking ability makes up for it. And that's the thing here. Even if it was true that Fields is kind of a one read guy, his playmaking and his mobility can offset a lot of that. Like you're not going to get the perfect, like everyone wants Tom Brady plus, uh, Michael Vick out there, right? Like you want the entire package. You're just not going to get that. You just want so, Mahomes. We want Mahomes. Yeah, exactly. You want Mahomes. And, and look, Justin Fields runs a much faster 40 than Mahomes. He's a better athlete than Mahomes, if you can believe that. So like, I, anyway, I, I just think it's crazy to think that he's not going to be a successful quarterback in the NFL. And this whole thing about uh, not Shanahan's guy, like it's not Shanahan's guy because he's always been, you know, besides RG3, he's always um, essentially inherited 
um, that kind of mold, that Kirk Cousins mold and that um, Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo, like he hasn't had the opportunity to get those guys. They had, you know, they haven't been drafting high enough. And like he was at Houston with Matt Schaub. It's not like they had an opportunity to get, you know, a, a great athlete to go along with, you know, um, kind of uh, everything else that goes with it, the accuracy. So, you know, now it could have been his time where he said, look, I want to move up to get that guy. I think he's got the total package. Now, look, here, here's my theory on this. And this is why I kind of thing yesterday i'll make this quick and it could be a completely um asinine theory and um you know i'll look dumb and you know mac jones is the pick but like i i just don't think that you know um I, you have to look at who's number two look the jets are, are number two it's robert sala it's you know a bunch of guys from the from the niners they know shanahan well and um yeah i totally believe that uh sala told uh shanahan look we're gonna take we're gonna take uh wilson here at number two and and so that gave them kind of the go ahead to, to move up now. But why, why would San Francisco just be so open about who they're going to take at three? If it was fields, like why, why would they tell the jets? Hey, look, I'm the QB guru. You guys know I'm the QB guru. I, this is my number one guy. I'm taking fields. Like they're going to re reevaluate. Like, do we really, should we really be looking at fields versus Wilson here? Like, I know it sounds dumb and maybe it's like a 5% chance that they would do that, but like there's always that opportunity that they could change their mind. They can always, you know, God forbid something happens between now and the draft where, you know, something comes out, um, you know, off the field, like a Deshaun Watson scenario with, with Wilson, or he gets in a bad, you know, like I said, God forbid this doesn't happen like a bad uh, Tiger Woods act. So you just never know. Why would you open up that possibility that then the jets could just grab fields grab the guy that Shanahan really wants like you just never know so there's no incentive for them to come out and tell you the exact guy they want at three there just isn't so um it's totally plausible in my head that um they kind of um leaked out that they want Mac Jones because they know that there's no way the Jets would take Mac Jones over Wilson he just isn't the prospect but there is a that slight chance that they could go back and take take fields or or something happens to Wilson and, and they decide to, to go with field so that that's my theory is this, I kind of connect the dots and it just, it's just strange to me that Mac Jones um, is just like the lock and barrel number three pick. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, they look, they attended the pro day for fields a few days ago and yeah, they want to do their due diligence, but like, do they really need to send both Lynch and Shanahan out there? Like this is right before the draft. They've got work to do. Um, just all of it isn't, I think there's, there's a chance that fields could still go through. I still think if a gun to my head, I would say Jones, but I don't think it's nearly inconceivable that uh, fields has been the pick all along and they've done a really good job of hiding it here. Yeah. I mean, when you like, look at the fields, he's closer to you know, Trevor Lawrence than he should be like the QB four or five. Um, I mean, when I've been thinking about these quarterbacks and kind of trying to contextualize their, you know, college production, I mean, just imagine what Justin Fields would have looked like in the BYU offense. That was the heavy play action that never had pressure. Like Justin Fields had more dropbacks under pressure last year than Zach Wilson did. And that's not because, you know, Zach Wilson is better at, you know, avoiding pressure. Uh, it's because the the offensive line was so much better than the, anything else BYU was playing. Like it's just, you know, there's there's so many pieces that that go into this. And I, like Justin Fields, in almost any other you know draft class, we're considering Justin Fields like QB one. Um, and somehow throughout this process, he's been you know widely viewed as like QB four or five, which uh, just kind of seems uh, insane uh, to me. 
Um, and so as we move on, like from quarterback, I think one interesting part is we look in the front half of this draft is what happens at number seven, I think with Detroit, because they're in a real interesting position. Um, we have this team right now who's kind of been mocked all over the place. Um, wide receiver, I think is their most mocked position uh, from uh, grinding the box, um, putting all of those uh, together. Um, so, but they also are kind of sitting in this place where a quarterback could go there if, you know, if, Forbid, you know, Fields drops to seven, or you know, if Lance or Mac Jones still there, we could see them potentially go to, uh, you know, number seven. That could be a, a trade spot, and I think Detroit is just really one of the more interesting teams where we're gonna get to see kind of really what they think of their roster, what their type of, um, you know, front office, you, we were just talking about the Rams, um, you know, their GM just came over from the Rams. So we might see how they are able to, you know, use some of that data of, of what they're thinking uh, going into this draft. So uh, how are we feeling about what, what the Lions uh, might be doing here? Yeah, I think that the draft officially starts at pick four this year because we could debate what quarterback goes at three, but we know the 49ers are taking a quarterback. The draft officially starts at four, I think, with Atlanta uh, and what they do. Do they trade out? Uh, what do they do? And then the Lions, I think, are another intriguing team because of the direction their organization is going. Uh, we know that they're basically building out for a multi-year plan. Uh, are they actually invested in this reclamation project of Jared Goff? Uh, you talk about that. Their receiving depth chart right now is an expansion level receiving depth chart. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an absolute just joke of what they've got. And then there's a reason for it. Like you said, it's kind of like, you know, it's not as bad as Houston's, but you know, they're, they clearly know like this year is not a year where we're going to compete. Uh, what's interesting is all the guys they've signed are just downfield players, you know, Brashad Perriman, Tyra Williams, Khalif Raymond. Uh, and, you know, obviously, you know, the knock on golf the past couple of years, although he hasn't had downfield players to throw to I don't think he's a great downfield passer, but also we know that, you know, a dot is more wide receiver driven than quarterback driven. Um, but yeah, the Lions kind of hold a lot of keys. I constantly see them getting, you know, projected an off-ball linebacker. You said wide receiver. I mean, it's it's a wide open pick. And if a quarterback's on the board, like, why are they making that pick at all? Like, you've got to get out of that pick. I know that's easier said than done. You need a dance partner to come up. But with the direction the Detroit Lions are going in, I mean, it's wide open what they can do. And honestly, no matter even who they want, they probably shouldn't make that pick regardless. They should be a team trying to get out. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, um, obviously, uh, there's a reason why Detroit is, I mean, people think they're tanking, they're uh, they traded for future, you know, trade Stafford mainly for future number ones instead of this in this draft. Um, and they've got so many holes. And like, if I were them, to me, it's either you just if a fields drops to them, and they really think he's the quarterback of the future, you just take him. Or you trade down. Like, there's no reason for them to take an O lineman or a linebacker, or even a wide receiver. That's just crazy to me. Um, it just makes zero sense. Like, you can, someone's going to give you, you can get like, you know, New England's 15th pick, or um, you can get, you know, Washington's pick if they want Lance or Fields, or you can get somebody um, to move up, even if someone wants, you know, wants uh, a wide receiver or if Pitts falls. Like, there's going to be somebody who, who wants somebody there. Um, you know, Sewell could drop there um, or Slater, you know, someone wants the second best lineman. So I think there's going to be a trade market that that would be the best case for them is just trade that pick, you know, trade out of there, build up more assets and, you know, really rebuild. They have so many holes. I mean, they have no, I mean, there is no position group that, you know, you look and you say, okay, they're set there. Um, 
with the Lions. Like they have so many holes. So yeah, yeah trust I mean, us, Rich, Rich and I have been doing the the team depth charts uh, for the past week and uh, for the past couple of weeks, and we're doing that leading up to the drafts, which you can find at uh, SharkFootballAnalysis.com. And who boy, that Lions depth chart was uh, was something to put together. Yeah, I mean it's pretty bad. So to me, that's that that's a huge, you know an easy trade down scenario for a team uh, willing to move up for uh, for any anybody. I mean, there's so many different options there. So uh, I would look for that as kind of your if it's not Atlanta, that'd be your first trade down spot. I think for um, in the top seven for sure. Yeah, and this entire just kind of front part of the draft is is really interesting with teams that can go just in really any area. Um, you know, I think we, you know, we said that Atlanta there, they could potentially take a quarterback because their team, you probably not expecting to be in the top five, uh, again with, you know, rational coaching, which they really haven't had maybe some injury luck, which they've also never really had. The only time they've had that is they ended up going to the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, they could be new quarterback or, you know, Kyle Pitts. I think Cincinnati is really interesting. Uh, they're probably not going to trade out, but that's, you know, uh, it seems to be, you know, skill position or, or offensive line to help uh, Joe Burrow out and that offense. And then you look at six, Miami, who, you know, traded back and then traded back up. But I, I think we should, you know, I'm not sure if we talked about that on the podcast when I know I wrote about it. You should, we should look at that as, as one deal. They, they traded back to six. They didn't trade to 12 and, and then to six. Like they, they thought about that, that they only had to move back three slots. And they're super interesting of whether they want to take, you know, an offensive tackle uh, again or one of those position players. And then we get to Detroit. Then, you know, you have, you know, the, like the, the NFC East gauntlet, uh, Philly, uh, Dallas, and, uh, and the Giants uh, up at what, not, 10, 11, 12 um, right now. So that's super interesting of whether any of those teams are, are going to try to, you know, out fake each other. So or I think there's just, there's so many options here. We don't really know where any of these teams are going to go, which, which makes this top half of the draft, you know, really, really interesting, especially after, you know, we know quarterback is going to go one, two, three. Um, so I, I think that's good for us when we're watching. It's good for us when we're going to analyze it. We get some type of, you know, surprises there. Uh, in the front half. Um, uh, so for you as an editor, when I have to send you nothing but skill players right away on Thursday night. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, totally <laughs> forgot about that. Uh, that's a thing that happens. Um, well, can I, can I mention, can I bring up something you, you mentioned? You didn't think that the, the Falcons would, would trade down like, and you know, this notion that you know, they won't be picking high enough again to get their quarterback of the future. I, I tend to disagree. I mean, first of all, you're not talking about the number one quarterback. You're going to be talking about the third or fourth, you know, probably the fourth quarterback on the board. Like if they get another weapon and, you know, uh, Julio stays healthy and uh, how many times have we said that, you know, they could be a solid playoff team next year. And, you know, you'd probably be happy with Matt Ryan and that team. Um, and so you've run it back again. Like if he fails, if he's really, uh, you know, completely dead arm, you know, the team's going to be bad enough where they're going to be in the top 10 again. So they'll be able to get a quarterback. We see it every year. I mean, teams are moving. You saw with the with San Francisco teams are moving from the teens to the, to the top five to get their quarterback. So I don't think this is the last time they'll be able to get a quarterback if they really need to. And just the, you know, the cap situation with Matt Ryan's uh, contract over the next couple of years. I mean, his cap hit 
is like $45 million uh, if they trade them or cut them next year. It's like, it's crazy. So, and maybe there's a team that really ends up wanting them, but I, it's hard for me to believe that. I think they're married to either taking Kyle Pitts or trading down. Like, I don't think that I don't have quarterback, you know, I'm going to do a mock draft for mock draft database. I won't have a quarterback for them. I mean, maybe someone trades up to take quarterback, but to me, that's like third on the list for me for Atlanta, like just take pits and just, you know, I like the Patterson signing. I thought that was a really nice signing for them uh, to help their special teams and to help kind of get, you know, some speed on the field. Um, adding, you know, if you added pits to that lineup, I mean, that could be pretty frightening uh, for a defense. So I would rather do that or trade down. Um, I don't, I just don't see a quarterback for them. I, I don't, I don't buy that the, you're going to want to sit for two years and take that cap hit. If you do trade them or cut Matt Ryan, it's just crazy to me. So uh, that's where I think, um, you know, is kind of the question. I actually like Pitts under five and a half uh, draft position because I think either Atlanta takes them or um, I think Cincinnati, everyone's talking about Chase and uh, and Sewell, but like, why, why are they just automatically passing on the best tight end we've seen in, you know, in how many number of years um, when you could get another tackle or receiver in round two um, this is a pretty deep class for each of those positions. So I think uh, Pitts under five and a half is a good prop. I actually took that myself already. Um, and I think that, you know, him in Atlanta is very juicy. I mean, uh, let me ask you, Rich, not to put you on the spot. Okay, Atlanta takes Pitts. Where is he in uh, next year's um, kind of tight end room when you look at uh, from a fantasy perspective in season longs? Like, is, is he sneaking to the top five here? Well, the Pitts dichotomy, even from a real football stance, is, is a real interesting conversation anyways. I mean, because, you know, we're betting on a unicorn. I mean, he essentially looks like the Calvin Johnson of tight end mm-hmm. prospects. Uh, you know, and, and if at worst, you know, we haven't seen a tight end prospect like this since Vernon Davis. Uh, and Pitts was just way more of a, of a – of, had way more – produced production. way more than Vernon Yeah, Davis. had way more production. I mean, I put in the, you know, the, the, the Pitts write-up, I mean, so out of all tight end prospects entering the draft since 2000, he's first in touchdowns per game, second in receiving yards per game, 15th in receptions per game in their final college season – is uh, yards per catch is the highest among all of those prospects since 2000 that caught 40 more passes. 28% of his receptions went for touchdowns, uh, which is second amongst that entire group. I mean, he is a unicorn and we're, you know, you're kind of betting on a unicorn, but it's also at a position too, where we've had, you know, players come along and just not produce first round tight ends of a, historically low hit rate and even from a fantasy stance even worse you know early career production for tight ends but this guy it's almost not what you almost say like well, he's not one of those guys uh so there's kind of like a, a an interesting conversation to be had around that how much do you bet on outliers how much of an outlier do you believe this player is he I mean, he's not even gonna be 21 years old until october too like it's i mean it's it's crazy just like the the amount of upside you could have and we've seen kind of the positional leverage that tight ends have had not only in fantasy, but now in real football that these, you know, you look at Travis Kelsey last year and performance he had, especially when you compare him up with, with guys like Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, like Travis Kelsey's paired with Tyree kill. And when you have to respect, you know, playing two high safeties and we just see the amount of damage you can do over the middle of the field, like with what the chiefs were able to do with Kelsey last year. And like Pitts is that kind of player. He can come in immediately and just play, kind of wide receiver he is a is a, is a is a decent blocker too and a willing blocker as well but you're gonna this guy's a receiver firsthand uh, so it's an interesting you know kind of c- component here i'm someone like from 
just the way I would approach things, and I'm waiting for an NFL team to do this because heads will explode, is just like with those premium picks, like those have to be quarterback positions to be. Like quarterbacks are just currency. We've seen Sam Darnold get traded for a future too. Sam Darnold has been worse than Blake Bortles and Mitchell Trubisky to this point in their careers, and he still fetched a, a, a future too. Uh, I think the Dolphins should take a quarterback. I know they're not going to. Like I, I just think all these picks should be quarterbacks or you trade out for people that want to come for quarterbacks. But Pitts, just in general, the, the dichotomy of him is very interesting because we just have not had a prospect look like this at least since 2006 and i don't really even think ever uh in my just objective model he's the highest graded tight end that's ever come into the nfl it used to be rob gronkowski uh was that player but uh pitts is he kind of has that unicorn vibe it's just how much willing are you willing to bet on unicorns uh especially at that position well, you know, you say since Vernon Davis, I agree. I mean, he, I know he tested off the charts, but he didn't. He didn't have the college production that no. the Pitts does. The closest comp I have um, is Kellen Winslow because he was. I mean, he was such a mismatch at Miami. He was ahead of his time. But even then, he was also a guy. Comp- final year had really not even close to stratosphere production. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you look at his numbers. Like I forgot his his final year. He had one touchdown. He had yeah, 600 yards receiving. Now I know the quarterback situation was different there because that was past Dorsey. I forgot who was who was playing quarterback, but you know, even his sophomore year, he had eight touchdowns, 726 yards. He was good, but nothing like out of this world. I mean, Pitts almost beat Alabama by himself in that SEC championship game. And and even then, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think Winslow ran like a 4-6-40, like, you know, fine for a tight end, but nothing out of this world. I mean, Pitts ran a 4-4-4. Like this is, we've never seen the combination of um, athleticism and production. Like we see one or the other, like it's always close. Um, and you look at some of the top, the, the top 10 picks, the, that were tight ends that failed. I mean, um, Eric Ebron, like Eric Ebron can't catch now. He couldn't catch at North Carolina. He dropped everything. I mean, Hawkinson's been okay, but like none of these guys, except for Winslow really had that combination between production and, and, uh, athleticism. And again, like you said, the production wasn't really there for Winslow in his last year. So this is like once in a, a you know, generation, uh, tight end prospect, I believe. So um, I, I I always <laughs> said for fun, like what if San Francisco was just fooling everybody and they just said, look, we did this all and they end up taking pits and just like roll with pits and Kittle down the middle of the field, like just a completely unstoppable force. That's actually uh, something that I would love to see just for fun. But, um, you know, that's not going to happen. Uh, but otherwise, I think uh, I think Pitts in Atlanta would be awesome with him and Julio and Ridley and yeah, Patterson in the mix. Like they don't even need the who needs a running back with that team. <laughs> just roll those guys out there and we'll see what uh, see what they can produce. I think that would be really fun. Yeah, when you look at Pitts, too, it's, you know, he's the type of player that you know, the defense doesn't know how to attack him. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what we've seen with, um, you know, guys like Travis Kelsey, the, the tight ends who can split out and, you know, even, you know, the Darren Wallers uh, when you're, you know, running the 11 personnel with three wide receivers um, is he, you know, a, a tight end that you're going to just have a nickel or are you basically, you know, running 10 personnel that the defense should probably, you know, use in base. And if that, you kind of have the advantage there as the offense um, where you can have that bigger body. And if you're, you know, running, you know, 11 personnel and they, they come out, um, then you have kind of the advantage to passing because you have, you know, someone who's probably a linebacker on, um, on pits. And then if you're running new 12 personnel, uh, if the defense comes out in base, you definitely have the advantage there passing, but then if they come out in nickel, you probably have the advantage, uh, uh, going, uh, 
you know, uh, in the run game, because, you know, like you said, Pitts is, you know, a good enough blocker. You don't have to be a great blocker. Um, but in the run game last year, Pitts had a 0% uh, blown block rate uh, per Sports Info Solutions. So uh, that's that's more than fine. <laughs> that 0% will work. And then when you look at it in the long run, sometimes when we look about positional value um, at the top end of, you know, the tight end market, uh, you know, down the line, when you look at these second contracts, uh, you had guys uh, last off season, you know, when Kelsey and Kittle both signed their extensions, those guys didn't even sniff like top 10 wide receiver money. They were mm-hmm. at the top of you know, the tight end, they're the two highest paid tight ends, but they're not even getting paid like top 10 wide receivers. We talked about this. And they both are. Um, With Amari Cooper, when Amari Cooper signed, we said Kittle should get more than Cooper. And and, yeah, uh, yeah. these guys (laughs) were making, these guys are averaging like, you know, $15 million a year. And that's not top 10 wide receiver money, but they're producing like top 10 wide receivers. But just because they're labeled tight ends, like this was the whole, you know, Jimmy Graham thing uh, when he was fighting, uh, you know, the franchise tag with the Saints uh, of whether he was a a tight end or a wide receiver, because the the money is different just because of the label. Uh, But the, the position and the production is, is nearly the same. So if you're getting, you know, Kyle Pitts there and he turns out to be the type of receiver uh, you think he can be, especially in an Arthur Smith offense, it's going to be heavy play action. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's going to be used more than like Johnny Smith was, but when you like remember how wide open Johnny Smith was schemed sometimes um, in that, uh, in that Tennessee offense, that's what Kyle Pitts can be. He doesn't even have to be schemed open. He's just going to get open. Uh, Last year he had 2.5 yards per route run. Um, So uh, among receivers, Jamar Chase, in 2019 had 3.3 Jalen Waddle last year had three Devonta Smith had 2.8 and if you put Kyle Pitts in this wide receiver class he's fourth in yards per route run um so there's just so much receiving production I think down the line it gives you the potential to have that you know uh new contract flexibility where he's not going to get paid uh like a top wide receiver but he's going to have that production so I, I think that is you know just it, it gives you so many options there and that's a, a guy like as special as Kyle Pitts is and you just watch him um he was lining up you know outside against JC Horn um and some of these other like top corners in the SEC who were going to be drafted in the first round and he was you know beating them um so you just have that type of production there too and he was he was only split out you know 30 percent of the time uh, last year. So it's not like he's this outside receiver only who's not going to play tight end. He does, he gives you that positional versatility, uh, which I think is something that just is absolutely something that you should be thinking of in that position. And he's going to be 26 years old after his five years. Like, you know, he's only going to be 26 years old. I mean, it's just bonkers. He's not even 21 that he's drafted. I don't know what you guys are doing when you guys were 21, but uh, I wasn't as accomplished uh, (laughs) as, you know, Kyle Pitts is. It's just pretty bonkers. No. So I think let's, let's round out this conversation with uh, a team we skipped over in the top 10 that I think is also a really interesting point. Like we kind of talked about Detroit of they're going to work with it with a new, you know, um, the front office of where they feel that roster is, but the Denver Broncos at number nine, I think also in that position, new front office, John Elway has stepped down. George Payton uh, is coming in from the Vikings. Um, you know, they're viewed as this roster that's probably, that could potentially be a, a quarterback away. I think either way they need a new quarterback because Drew Locke just is not it. Um, but how they view themselves of how close they are, you know, potentially with a new quarterback is, is interesting because like, so when we were, writing up these, these depth charts for the team needs and stuff. I 
came away less impressed with the Broncos than I thought I was going to be because while they have a good depth chart on, you know, the surface, there's especially on defense, which was the part I was writing up. I think they're not very deep at a lot of positions. They go like too deep really well at a lot of positions, but if there's like one injury, it, it, it's not great. Like I think you look at what they did uh, in the pass rush last year with Von Miller, um, you know, that has gone in, you know, all of a sudden Malik Reed was playing, you know, 77% of the defensive snaps and that didn't work out well. Uh, they play nickel a whole bunch and, uh, you know, um, uh, and their their two linebackers are playing like 90% of the snaps, the same thing at safety. Now you're going to have like a 30, what, three-year-old Kareem Jackson was playing like 90% of the defensive snaps and there's not really a lot behind them. Uh, so I think there's just, uh, mm. there's a lot of variance that I think is potentially there, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I think we kind of saw that with, you know, as on the receiver side too, uh, you lose Cortland Sutton and the, all of a sudden that receiver group is not as good uh, as it potentially could be. So I think there's, there's so much variance there. So how the Broncos view themselves or right now, I think is fascinating when you see that back end of the top 10. Let me, let me step in here. Cause you're, you're stepping all over my Denver Broncos. This is baby. My future and, well, that's, really... that's what made me think of it. I was yeah, you've I been going uh, on these, these Broncos yeah, for yeah, so long. Baby. And I was, me... I was expecting to be a little more impressed than I was. So oh, wait yeah, a go ahead. All right, so here, here's my rebuttal. You said there's no depth. You're right, but you know what? They had no depth last year, and they finished 13th in DVOA defense. So here's I'm going to read you the starting lineup. But everyone was um, healthy. That That's they... kind of my thing, right? What's that? So everyone was healthy, and I'm um, like having all of those guys, like except for who was Von wait, wait last year. Everyone was healthy. But Nobody in, was healthy in, last year. I mean, they're in the, they're in the positions where they like only needed to go too mm-hmm. deep, right? With their linebackers, they both played like ninety percent of the defensive snaps. Both safeties did. I just I'm not expecting that yeah. to continue to happen. True, but look at their core. I mean, they they this is what they threw out against the Chiefs on that Sunday night, where the Chiefs only scored twenty two points and they won by six. A uh, same Bassi, AJ Bouye, who was terrible last year, Michael Ajumudi, like two rookies. Like the the remember the the cornerbacks they threw out against Josh Allen on that Saturday uh, afternoon game late in the year. It was like five rookies. Like they their cornerback position was complete trash. I mean, they had nobody. Um, now you've got three guys who are, who are PFS top 20 uh, or top 30 coverage um, um, uh, grade last year with Fuller and Darby. I mean, as much as, you know, whatever you think of Darby, I mean, he's their number three corner. And you've got those rookies who were, who had to be thrown to the fire last year. And now you're like your fourth and fifth corners. So, you know, from that, that um, position group, like even if you had a massive injury um, situation, like those guys have at least played and at least, you know, were able to, um, step on the field and prove themselves last year. So you do have depth from that position. I mean, defensive line, obviously they didn't have Von Miller. Um, you know, Chubb was kind of in and out of the lineup. You're right. Linebackers played all those snaps, but, uh, and so did the safeties and those are key, but yeah, I mean, I, I would just say that like they lost, I think they, uh, from their, their opening day lineup, or you know, when you include Von Miller, they lost like 72 games from their starting lineup um, going into the, uh, into the um, season last year. So you know, it's, I think Vic Fangio has proven himself to be a really good defensive coach. If he can take, he can kind of stick guys in there, um, you know, who don't have a lot of experience and, and at least compete, right? Like if they add up all those injuries, like they're not going to be a top 10 unit, but they could still compete and, and um, be able to hold themselves up. So I, I just think if you get a little bit of positive injury regression, 
Um, they're going to be really good on defense. And um, yeah, I mean, no, nobody in the NFL has got like just too deep everywhere. <laughs> so I, I'm not really worried about Denver from that perspective, just because yeah, anyone who has a ton of injuries is going to really, um, you know, really be, be hit massively. I mean, look what the Ram, I mean, the Rams are just hanging by a thread here. <laughs> if they have any sort of injuries they're they have no depth either. So um, yeah, but back to, to Denver in terms of what they're going to do at nine, I do think they've already made a roster and I think it's, I can't believe some of the mock drafts I see where they're just passing on fields. I think it's like, I think Kuiper and McShay both had fields getting past Denver and them taking like Micah Parsons or certain. And it's just like, my head explodes. Like, what are you thinking? Like, how, in what universe is that going to happen? Um, and I don't even think Lance would make it past them. I mean, their uh, GM Patton is, has attended every single um, quarterback pro day uh, between when you look at Lance and fields and, uh, I'm sure he attended Wilson, but he, they're not going to pass. I, I think they should move up. I think they should do whatever it takes, just load up, like give Atlanta, give uh, Detroit, whoever it is, whatever they want, um, you know, multiple picks this year. Uh, you're not going to have to throw in a future one, I don't think, unless you move up to Atlanta's pick. But just you've got a good roster. Just get the quarterback. Like you were talking about, you know, Atlanta may not be picking this high again. I mean, with this roster, Denver may not be picking this high again. Um, they're going to face one of the, maybe the easiest schedule in the NFL. If you look at DVOA and you look at uh, win totals, they have the easiest schedule in the NFL this year. And this is after having a fifth toughest last year. Like it just completely flips on its, on its head. They played Detroit in that, in that 17th game. Like they are getting all the advantages now. If we're going to have crowds back in, in stadiums, they're going to get, you know, uh, even bigger back to their normal home field advantage that they lost last year. So um, I, I, to me, there is zero reason for them to pass on quarterback. And I think they should do whatever it takes to move up um, to get a quarterback. So that's a spot again uh, to, 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 I just think that they would pass on a quarterback and have a team like new England um, or Washington um, kind of sit there and get the fields or, or Lance to me is nuts. So I think it's a no brainer here for, for them to take quarterback there. I mean, I, I see mock drafts say, oh, they're okay enough uh, with Locke at quarterback. Like, what? Locke was literally the worst quarterback in the NFL by every metric last year. Um, he was horrific. Maybe Haskins was was worse, but uh, there's no reason for me to, to believe that they're not going to take quarterback here. Yeah, I mean, so that was my rebuttal. Down to. Sorry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it all comes down to at Denver is literally that. I mean, there's a scenario where it works out for them at nine, where a guy, one of these guys gets there. I mean, there is, yeah. it's, it's crazy to think about that that could happen, but it is where we are. You know, if the Falcons end up, you know, staying pat, they don't find a dance partner, they take pits. Uh, I think we, we, we know the Bengals aren't taking a quarterback. The Dolphins probably won't. Although, like I said, I think all these spots should be quarterbacks, but you know, the, then it just comes down to what, Detroit does and what Carolina does, who also traded for a quarterback that's in Drew Locke's company uh, the last couple of years, especially last year on a lot of those metrics you talked about. Um, it would be wild to me that they believe that I believe that they're just going to stand pat with Darnold at eight, but it, it seems to be that that's a potential outcome. There's a chance where the Broncos don't even do anything and one of these quarterbacks is there. And uh, you just look at their quarterback performance last year uh, that I wrote and thing. They, they had the lowest uh, on target uh, percentage, you know, factoring in Locke, Driscoll and Brett Ripping playing in the NFL last year. And they've got playmakers. They've got, young, they, they, you know, obviously they invested 
into two rookies last year. You've got Cortland Sutton coming back. You invested into a first-round tight end two years prior in Noah Fant. They've got playmakers that are starved for, you know, quarterback play and QB accuracy. Um, that's just the one thing. I mean, outside of being in the wrong division and playing Patrick Mahomes <laughs> twice a year uh, and now Justin Herbert twice a year, like, uh, you know, that's the only thing in the way. Like, they have to get a quarterback. They have to get yeah. a quarterback going into the season. Uh, I'm totally on board with that. Uh, <laughs> and, and people treat Drew Locke like he was a first-rounder. Like, there's no commitment yeah. to Drew Locke. None. Like, and this is a new GM. He's not making any money. He's not making no any money. money. This like, is a new GM. <laughs> it was a second-round pick. Like, why, why yeah. would they be married to Drew, to Drew Locke? Like, I would rather have Nick Mullins. Like, take anybody. Like, there's no way they're entering next year with Drew Locke as their starting quarterback. There's just no way. Well, Lance is the wild card. I want, I'm very intrigued to see where Lance goes because, you know, obviously – Lance wasn't a major recruit coming out of high school, but he just has all these, you know, things that can't be arbitraged, you know, from a quarterback prospect, you know, not to get like toolsy and trait wise, but like he is the, the best runner out of the guys, even including fields. Uh, he's got like a ridiculous arm, like, but he's just, you know, he's faced no competition. People forget we would have got to see them play Oregon the first week of the college season, but because the, you know, COVID season and it only being conference play, we didn't get to see that. So he just, you know, we just don't know. But in terms of like upside, like Lance has, he's a complete wild card and whatever team gets him in a spot, like everyone treats Lance like he's going to be a guy that doesn't play for a year or two. But like if he goes to Denver, like that dude's playing in like week four. Right. <laughs> like I said, you could get a guy like Mullins or get a, get like a, you know, someone who's better than, and then maybe you sit him for a few games. Even Carolina. Yeah, he's going to play. He's too good. He's too good not to play play like they always end up playing like you know the browns uh, drafted baker mayfield and they get the uh, they trade a third for tyrod taylor which is ridiculous and everyone's like oh tyrod taylor's gonna play the year and baker's gonna sit no it never, never happens it's like three games in happens. and he played it never <laughs> happens so i lance just is so intriguing and i um uh who's it um God, field yates was the one this morning that um tweeted out a video kind of some some scouting clips from trey lance i thought it was really good he just, I mean, maybe it's the number five, but he is the exact same size as Donovan McNabb. They both wear number five. They both had elite, you know, really good mobility and he's running over guys and, you know, just throws a perfect deep ball. He just reminds me so much of him. I haven't watched enough, you know, I'm not a scout, so I'm not going to sit here and say he does the same things, but he's got the arm. He's, he's got the mobility. Like I just, um, he's a guy I'm very intrigued by. It's just the, the, the number of starts thing. Like, there's just like nobody who is, who has succeeded when you, unless you look at cam, but even cam was, you know, he, he played at a lower level. He started a bunch of games. Nobody has, has really had that fewest starts and has been a really good quarterback. So it's, it's another one of those, like, can he overcome that? Um, and so uh, it'll be interesting, but he's such a big body and he's got such physical traits kind of like cam that, you know, you can overcome some of that lack of experience by just making plays. <laughs> like you don't have to be the perfect pocket quarterback. If you can make plays outside the pocket, like you, I mean, it's, it's your motto, uh, uh rich, like you, you've got the cheat code, like you, you can sit there and not know where to go with the ball, but if you can run and, and pick up five, six yards <laughs> with your legs, like you can, you can make up for some of that um, you know, lack of experience. So I, I, I agree with you. I'm really intrigued by where Lance goes and, you know, how he's used. And as a runner, he is very, like, he's got, like, Lamar Jackson upside running, but as a way better passer. And it's North Dakota State passing, I get it. But, like, he's still, uh, he has that, 
he has the, the the traits passing that you would want to invest in. Now, the interesting thing too is you go back to him though, like I said, coming into college, and he was just a two star recruit though too, like a two star prospect. So, a lot of a lot of you know kind of variance here to where this could go. But uh, yeah, but you but say always, that, but Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow was like a two or three star going to Ohio State. He was like the fourth quarterback in that class um, at Ohio State. I'm saying you look at Baker Mayfield was a walk. Like you just we're seeing these guys just kind of come out of uh, kind of come out of nowhere. So I'm not sure. You know, you look, obviously, uh, some of the, the success stories we've seen in the NFL, just these guys are not huge recruits. It's, it's weird. It's like, what are, I think college recruiting of these quarterbacks is worse than, you know, the way the NFL is. Um, yeah, he got a raw deal from, you know, Minnesota. I think there was the article put out. Uh, I'm trying to think of the head coach was. Was it, was it PJ Fleck? Yeah, uh, I might be might be wrong on that, but that yeah, he just he got kind of a raw deal in the the recruitment process as well, uh, especially in his home state, you know, the home state of Minnesota uh, by there, a team that literally has had terrible quarterback play too for that entire tenure uh, that Lance has been in. If you remember, like watching old you know Tyler Johnson oh, yeah. clips and Rashad Bateman, they just throw up <laughs> fade routes. Like he's got nothing else they can do. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm interested because like I look at the quarter acquisition of things that can't be arbitraged. And that's the difference between like the fields versus Mac Jones, not even really being down on Mac Jones as a prospect, just fields does things that you can't, you can't arbitrage. And that's, you know, but that's important to me. You have more outs uh, at that level. Yeah. Um, and that, that, those are, those are differentiators for me. And I, I feel like teams don't value that enough. The, 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 the error of the pocket passer, the margin error, for the pocket passer in today's NFL is so razor thin. Those guys have to put up seasons like Aaron Rodgers did last year. And asking guys to do that regularly is, is a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask your quarterback to be that good. Um, because, you know, you look at like Kyler Murray, his first two years in the NFL, uh, by basically every passing metric, he's been v- like league average. But not even <laughs> like, and, and he's been, but he's, he's a dynamic playmaker and puts his team in position to win yeah. games because of, you know, his, his mobility and, and the outs right. he has. And obviously he has, you know, traits passing that you would want to glom onto as well. You know, armchair just hasn't come together yet. Uh, there's still like, you know, hope that he can still go forward and be a better pass than we've seen. But I always look at it from things that can't be arbitrage, things you can't make up. And uh, those guys, Lance and Fields, they have that. And even, you know, you know, um, Wilson and, and, and Lawrence have mobility. Now, Wilson's a little smaller guy. He's not going to run like he did at BYU. He's more of a scrambler, whereas you can still create designed runs for Trevor Lawrence. But, uh, yeah, the top of the, 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 the pocket passer is a dying breed, the pure pocket passer. Yeah, and I think it's, it's one of those things where you just, like you said, the, the margin of error, especially early in a career, is so low. I think when we kind of talked about Josh Allen, who you know broke out in year three, if Josh mm-hmm. Allen wasn't able to move like he did in years one and two, like he might not have made it to be able to develop in year three the way he did. So if you're, it goes back to our new Mac Jones conversation at three, you have to be so confident in what Mac Jones does well, that he can continue to do that well. Cause that's what he has, right? You, there's still the ability. There's, there's so much more margin for error with, with guys like, you know, Fields. And like you said, even Wilson, if he's not going to be, you know, this design run guy, but you can still have some, some read options in the playbook. Like Daniel Jones to go back to him, isn't, you know, super athletic, but you can get him out on a read option and get him into the open field. And it works. Like you have that, and you know, you can even do that with Mac Jones a little bit. Like he's, he's not Tom Brady, right? He's not, you know, a guy who's running, you know, a, a, a five Oh 40. He's not that type of quarterback. But you just have to be so confident in what he 
does well um, and having that translate and having that be, um, you know, something that gets him to everything uh, he can do. It's just, you know, you're just, you're just creating the, the margin of errors so much smaller. And I think that that's where, you know, we're coming down with a lot of these quarterback prospects. It's not that, you know, it's the wave of the future or, or whatever. Like, obviously those guys are, are still going to be able to you know win in the NFL. Like you don't have to be, um, you know, a mobile quarterback to succeed, but I think we're just seeing how, how much just um, it, it allows you to, you know, work around other things. Uh, and that's, I think, what we're seeing at the top of this quarterback class and what we're probably going to be seeing for this, for quarterbacks, you know, coming in, um, you know, as as we go along. Like we were kind of talking before how we're not seeing like some of these like great athletes are playing running back anymore. Now, um, I think we're, we're seeing guys who are great athletes playing quarterback and guys who might've been moved off the position, you know, earlier, or, you know, in previous years, uh, we're seeing those guys being able to stick at quarterback. And I think that's just kind of the, the wave we're, we're seeing now. So I think that just gives you, you know, so many other options at quarterback. And I think that's, that's what we're going to be seeing. And, and really, um, you know, yeah, it, it just gives you more chances to develop. And I think that's what these quarterbacks are going to be. So I think with that, we can uh, end. And I think we got a pretty good look at, at the top 10. We'll be back. Um, you know, a couple more times before the draft. We'll also be back after the draft. Uh, we have so much going on at the site right now. For the first time uh, this year, we have mock drafts. We have two uh, going up uh, each week, one from uh, Ryan McChrystal, one from Brandon Donahue. Um, these guys have been, you know, really good bringing uh, different uh, perspectives of what this first round uh, might look like. Uh, Rich and I have been going through uh, all of team depth charts to see what these teams look like, what they might need in the draft. Uh, TA just put out an article um, about some of these uh, first round props that you could be looking at. So there's so much good content at sharpfootballanalysis.com right now. You can go uh, check that out. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can follow TA on Twitter at CleveTA. You can follow me at Dan Pizzuta. I'd like to thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.